This podcast episode is brought to you by Phone Sites. With Phone Sites, you can build a website or sales funnel that generates leads from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any tech skills or without downloading an app. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Nate. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, Nature going home. I missed my life, missed my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. But when I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't alright, I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera, I fixed the lens, and now I see in focus. Now my life's unrecognizable from my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years of marriage, it's never been better than this. And we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm gonna be a leader I'ma lead the way Cause I'm a firm believer We can do anything we want If I said it then I meant it I probably already did it Consider it Consider it If you need some inspiration you should play this Championship Leadership Podcast Hey Bailey What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Championship Leadership Podcast. I'm extremely excited today. Uh, very, very special guest, Don Mann. Don Mann is a former Navy SEAL Team 6 member, renowned world-class adventure competitor, and New York Times best-selling author. Man's awe-inspiring and highly accredited presentation stem from his colorful and action-packed life as a member of SEAL Team 6, as a former internationally renowned endurance athlete as a leader in the world of adventure sports production and as a New York Times bestselling author. Check out his book, Inside SEAL Team 6. He's got many other books as well. He's written up to 20 books. Man is a very passionate speaker and author who has changed countless lives by sharing his unique reached beyond boundaries philosophy. And at the end of this episode, he leaves us with uh, four pieces of information that if you put into your play today, uh, will no doubt benefit you and move you forward. So I just, I, it was just such a pleasure and an honor to have someone uh, like Don Mann on this podcast. And with that, uh, I know that you will enjoy this. So please share this as well to as many people as you can. Just an incredible time with Don Mann. Here we go. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Championship Leadership podcast and I'm I'm really really excited today we have Don Mann uh, former Navy SEAL team six member a world-class renowned adventure era- uh, racer endurance racer as well as a New York Times best-selling author uh, truly thoroughly enjoyed Don's book inside uh, SEAL team six listen to that a few months back and now I have the pleasure of, of having a conversation with you today so thanks so much for being here Oh, Nate, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I always like to ask, just to start start things off, is uh, the name of the podcast is called Championship Leadership. So what com- what comes to mind for you when you when you hear that term, Championship Leadership? What does that mean to you? To me, 
It means any successful organization, either sports, military, or business, it's going to be unsuccessful. It won't be successful at all if it doesn't have great leadership. And I love the name of championship leadership. It means you've got the champions, the best as the leaders. Um, so it's a very strong message, I think. The, the term championship leadership says a lot in those two words. Um, so I, I love that. I love that title. Uh, leadership, if, you know, you got the most incredible organization in the world, most well-funded and everything, if it doesn't have leadership, it's nothing. Then again, you could have a small, small, small company or with great leadership and you have a, something big at your hands. So I love the title, championship leadership. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, I'm just thinking to you and, your, and all the experiences that you have, obviously, throughout uh, your time as a Navy SEAL, are there, are there some championship leaders that come to mind that you served with um, throughout your time in the military? Absolutely. And I think about them all the time. Um, you know, they are the, a number of them, you know, five or six of them have gone up to be admirals. Wow. And I knew them when they were young guys, you know, young ensigns and JGs and lieutenants. And we were friends and they were good, hard charging SEALs. And now all these decades later, they retire as three and four star admirals. And uh, it's no surprise. Uh, so they were championship leaders. And they were, before they were leaders, they were championship followers. They would listen to the enlisted people. They would listen to the other officers. And they were mainly quiet and soaking it up and taking it all in. Then as they gathered rank, they started having an influence of the different SEAL commands they were at. And before you know it, boom, then they end up being the top in the SEAL communities. And it's really great to see. And uh, yeah, I, I think the world of every one of them, or I'm, I'm talking about the ones who went on to be admirals right now, yeah. but there are others too yeah. um, who, who stayed Lieutenant commander or commander talking about the officer ranks that didn't go that far because they could not put up with the political nonsense that's in every organization and they would speak their minds loudly. And although everybody knew these particular people were correct in what they were saying, it prevented them from going much higher up the chain yeah. like the admirals did. Yeah. So some had the ability to zip it up, some felt <laughs> the abilities weakness and they wouldn't zip it up and and so i respect them every bit as much as the ones who went on to be admiral yeah absolutely and you you mentioned something that that really that uh st stands out to me as well as like before they were the championship leaders they were championship followers and and how important yeah. that piece is like talk talk a little bit more about that if if you would uh when you go to buds you really can't do anything but listen and do what you're told. Yeah. Uh, if you're a bud student and you happen to be a junior officer or senior enlisted, you do have some responsibility taking care of the, the people in the ranks. Um, but you're mainly all ears, a little bit of spoke, spoken uh, will come out every now and then. Once you get to a SEAL team, it happens all over again. You're all ears. You just take it in. You listen to the veterans around you. You know they've been around. You haven't been, you're a brand new guy just out of BUDS. You don't really know anything except to how to graduate BUDS, which is very, very minuscule because the whole world's now open up to you yeah. being a SEAL. Yeah. And, then, and then after a while, you start gathering your thoughts and you start speaking up a little bit. 
And before you know it, now you're in charge of a group of guys and then more of a group and a larger group and so on. And then when you go to SEAL Team 6, if you go on to SEAL Team 6 from there, regardless of how long you've been in the teams, 8, 10, 12 years, you go to 6, the same thing happens all over again. You go into their training course called Green Team, um, and you zip it up and you just listen. No matter how mm -hmm. senior you are, you listen. You get to one of the assault squadrons, and you don't even speak then either. You listen, yeah. and then you start speaking, you start taking charge, and, and it starts over and over and over. But you have to be a good listener and a good follower to become that good leader. Um, you can't be a great leader until you have listened and followed you know, those who, who've been around. Yeah. It takes a, a bit of, uh, in a way kind of being, uh, some, some humility and some, and being very humble as well. Right. And just kind of knowing that that is part of the process. Um, a lot of respect ends up coming through, through that and seeing that you are willing to not just, uh, have to be the guy out in the front, but that you can, um, know when to lead and when not to essentially. And, you know, that brings up a good point, Nate, too, even going back to Bud's training. If we get the superstar athlete coming in and he thinks he's all everything there is, <laughs> yeah. and he's just a son of an athlete and he thinks he's above everybody else and he's not a good team player, he doesn't help the others who need his help at times, or he thinks the whole team's going to be based on him, the quicker that guy washes out, the better, and he does wash out. So we don't need anybody like that in the teams and people like that don't end up in the teams. They wash them out in buds. Yeah. 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 I, um, it, it's probably normally those that do wash out really quick, right? The ones that are maybe extremely talented or their skill level is to a point where, you know, they've never really had to, had to push themselves past a certain capacity. And that's what the process is all about, right? At buds of really, we, we know that you already can do a lot, right? And it's, but we really want the best of the best of the best. And, uh, and so that process is designed to weed those out and weed them out quickly. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk um, about, um, we, 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 I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh yeah. We, we had quite a few people coming in and the instructors, the seasoned seals see this in them right away. And they'll mm -hmm. put the pressure on until they collapse. They'll break anybody. Yeah. And if they don't collapse, maybe they're wrong. We'll give them a chance. But they put the pressure on these, you know, tough guys, whatever. They, they, they're gone that, yeah. within the hour, usually. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> it's kind of hard to watch. You know, I, I, yeah. I'm thinking of one time, the guy on the obstacle course, it seems like all the Buds instructors got together and said, okay, he's done today. Uh -huh. This guy thinks he's all... Um, he's not a team player. He's not helping out anybody. He's strong, but he's not helping anybody out. Let's put some pressure on him. And then they were like, it's like a pack of wolves on one guy. And that yeah. guy was just gone yeah. mentally, physically, emotionally. Yeah. And as he's ringing the bell. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine it. Um, huh. well, t tell me, tell me about the, uh, just a little bit of a background on you and, you know, maybe, how you got on the path that you did, you know, adventure racing first, first and foremost, like um, highly competitive, highly ranked uh, triathlete doing some crazy adventure races. Like, I mean, you're doing some really, really crazy stuff where um, risky life's on the line type, type events. 
uh, and then of course how that all works in as having this career and being a part of SEAL Team uh, uh, Six as well, and and how all of that fits together. For some reason, as a young guy, probably seventh grade, um, I had two passions, or they weren't even passions at the time, but two things I was interested in. One was music, which I still am fanatical about certain types of music, and the other one was exercise. And I remember for Christmas, my mother asked me, what do you want for Christmas? And I was thinking, I either want something to play music with, or I want some exercise equipment. And I knew in seventh grade, I had to make a decision which way I was going to go in life. I didn't know anything else, but for some reason, I knew that. And at seventh grade, I decided, okay, I'm going to evolve my life around sports and adventure and, and you know, risks, taking yeah. risks. I, all those things I liked so much. And I put it all in one category. Maybe I'll be a cop so I can chase down the bad guys. Maybe I'll be a Marine because SEALs weren't really talked about back then. Yeah. And um, so I decided to give it all to go one direction. And, I was, and so I raced motorcycles and I loved racing motorcycles. That's the only sport I did. Um, and then I started running to become a better motocross racer. And a friend of mine said, you should start running races. I didn't know they had running races. Uh -huh. And he said, yeah, Boston Marathon's coming up in a couple of months. And I asked him how long it was. He said, 26.2 miles. I said, people don't run that far. <laughs> so anyway, a couple months later, I ran that. Then I ran 30 others in those three years. And a lot of those were 50Ks, 100Ks. So then I became, uh, I wouldn't say an elite, an elite runner, but um, definitely a, you know, a sub-249 marathon runner, um, sub-445 runner for the mile uh -huh. and uh, sub 32, uh, sub 33 for the 10K. So I was placing quite a bit and I was loving the fact that if you put out and really push hard, you could end up on the podium and you become really good at what you do. Then I brought that to bicycle racing and then to triathlons. And as one of the, I guess the first time I did an Ironman, there were only 15 people in the world who had done one. Wow. And so I went out to Hawaii, did an Ironman, and I, it was hard, you know, I didn't yeah. know what I was doing, <laughs> but I, I did it in, in less than uh, a, day, a half a day, 12 hours, 1141. And that was my macro goal. It used to be a marathon was a macro goal. Mm -hmm. Beat that macro goal, bring it to a micro goal. And then the next macro goal was two marathons. And yeah. once I do that, I'd bring that down and make the next macro goal something bigger. So the macro goal was an Ironman. I completed the Ironman. Then I was thinking, what's the next macro goal? I was thinking, well, since I did an Ironman in less than 12 hours, I should be able to do two Ironmans in a day. So I made my next match goal two Ironmans in a oh, day. Wow. And I passed out on mile 32 on the run, but I got up, I was spitting up bile, seeing the white spots. I got up and finished the race. Wow. And it taught me a lesson because all the times in my life I thought something was too hard or too challenging, I was wrong because – did the 4.8 mile swim, the 224 mile bike ride. And then I had two marathons go, 52.4 miles of running. And the first marathon, which used to be a macro goal, was now yeah. just a small part of that. Yeah, right. And then I had one more marathon to go and I was thinking, one more marathon, so what? And I was at mile 32 and I started dry heaving and spitting up bile and I passed out. And I woke <laughs> up and finished the race. So then I realized wow. if something is too hard and it really truly is too hard, your body will do you the favor and you'll pass out. Yeah. 
and you'll get the rest you need, then you can get up and finish. And that's what happened. And then I just went on to the 10-day races and going to Everest and climbing Denali. And, and I did over 1,000 of those. You know, my, I had a goal to do over 1,000 before I died, but I, I re- reached over 1,000 in the 80s. And I'm still, I did my last race this past weekend. I'm still yeah. racing because I like training for something yeah. and then giving it your whatever yeah. it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, you say that, like, you kind of knew at a very young age that you had to make this decision, which is really uh, interesting, number one, because most people in seventh grade, they're not thinking about it like that, right? And uh, so it's kind of cool to hear that that was just kind of inherently in you. And um, yeah, I, I, I believe I believe I remember it in your book that you, on your way to Bud's, decided you were going to ride your bike across the country. Is that right? <laughs> So what happened there, um, I was just laying down, looking at my bicycle. I lived in Newport, Rhode Island, and I was thinking, shoot, and I was riding all the time. And I was thinking, well, I'm really going to miss riding my bike. I hope I can ride my bike a lot. Because all through Buds, the instructors thought this was crazy. Every weekend in Buds, I didn't rest or relax. I I raced in triathlons and marathons and ultramarathons. So I was thinking, you know, as a a cyclist, as a, a good cyclist. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, I have 10 days travel time. Maybe I can do the math, figure out how far it is across country. And if I can make it there in 10 days, and it was 3,000 miles, of course, and do the math. And that's 10 days at 300 miles a day, which was a world record. So I was sponsored by a bike company in Newport, Rhode Island called 10 Speed Spokes. And the, the guy's name uh, was Ted. I said, Ted, um, I'd like to ride my bike cross country and do 300 miles a day. He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so let me call Guinness World. And he called Guinness World Book of Records in London. And they said, that's a world record. Even if he does it East Coast to West Coast. Most people go West Coast to East Coast because of the tailwinds. Yeah. But yeah. I was thinking, well, I'm on the East Coast. I have to go to the West Coast. And yeah. um, I went on a radio talk show. And someone had called me and asked if they can join me. And I said, yeah, but it's not going to be any fun. It's 300 miles a day, not 290, not yeah. 288, 300 <laughs> miles a day. We have to eat from a vehicle, the support vehicle. It's going to be 18 to 22 hours a day on a bike. And then we can sleep. Yeah. But if we take um, 24 hours to go 300 miles, there's no sleep that night. Right. <laughs> and um, a long story, he quit on me. Yeah. And we made it every day. He wanted to do less and less mileage. Yeah. And he said, let's just do 100 a day said 100 a day anybody can do 100 a day on a bike that's right. no that's nothing yeah we're going for a world record it's supposed to be hard yeah <laughs> but he quit on me and um so we packed up the bikes and i thought i'd do it another day uh-huh. and that's definitely a regret i'll have for the rest of my life that i didn't it, follow through yeah. that yeah. Uh, yeah well you mean and also most people i would i would imagine coming into buds on those 10 days are probably resting up and here you are no i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna bike 300 miles a day on my way there i never thought of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's but everything i did everything i did everything i ate every time i slept every time i worked out it was all to become a better seal um yeah. everything was to become a seal and the bike ride was just to make me stronger too yeah. And, um, and the other thing is, I think that really helped me out a lot is, and I really like telling young people this who want to become SEALs or Marines or anything. Yeah. I said, just don't have a backup plan. You can't have a backup plan because if you think, well, if Bud's doesn't work out, I'll go be a pilot or a cork or an accountant or something. 
when you're being tortured and you're laying on the ground, as you know, going through yeah. seal fit and when they start hammering on you, that backup plan can creep up. And you might say, I'm just going to go ring the bell and do my backup plan. Yeah. But if you don't have a backup plan and everything is, it says to your brain, keep going, keep going. I welcome the pain. Bring it on. If yeah. it's too hard, I'll simply just pass out. <laughs> bring it on. I'll take it off. You have to be humble saying that. Like, yeah, yeah. Bring on the pain. Mark, Mark Divine, bring on the pain. Yeah. Or your buds instructors or whoever. Looking at a mountain or a 500, 600-mile race, that's how I look at it. Bring it on. And I welcome the pain because if it's worth doing, it's going to hurt. And yeah. you can only take so much pain before you pass out. Yeah. And I'm willing to go to that point every day. It doesn't matter to me. I don't mind. It hurts. I don't enjoy pain. But I like the benefits that come from putting yourself in, as you know, putting yourself through those painful yeah. times. I, uh, I, I love that. That's, um, you know, it, it, if it's too much, you'll just pass out. <laughs> but, and most people aren't willing to ever experience that, right? And um, how, I used how, to have a saying, I'd say yeah. it to myself, blood from any orifice. <laughs> yeah. Because on that bike ride, I bled a lot in my shorts, of course. I yeah. thought for these, <laughs> I lived in a station in an hour, and I was on a bike racing team. We'd meet at four o'clock in the morning, and I had so much energy. Sometimes I'd wake up at midnight, all excited about my four o'clock ride, that I'd go do a 10 mile run away from the barracks, turn around, and come back. But <laughs> 20 miles of running before I do my bike ride. Oh, wow. And so I would bleed. I urinating would be blood. Yeah. And I bled from my nose and ears before. So I always said to myself, blood from any orifice, push yourself uh -huh. hard enough, you'll bleed. <laughs> and then I started changing it to hallucinations because we hallucinated in those big long races. You push yourself yeah. to the point of hallucinations and bleeding and bonking. And for decades, I went over the line of being safe and went to the point of passing out, bleeding, bonking or something. Yeah. And now when I do my talks around the country, you know, I, I achieved quite a bit by thinking like that, but yeah. I've also done quite a bit of damage to myself. Yeah. And um, now I, I know I know a better way, and that is we should identify a line. If whatever you do in life, a brother or father or cork or a seal or whatever, mm -hmm. if you do too much and go over that line, something's going to suffer. You might have a marital problem. Something bad might happen. Something's going to give up. You, if it's too much physical, you're going to break down muscles of body. In my case... My kidneys and liver were shutting down, and I almost died from going too hard for too long. And I went—I weighed 185. I went down to 138. All my muscles were burning for fuel, mm -hmm. and because I didn't stop, I just kept going and going and going and going. Some days I was doing 20-hour workouts, and every day was at least a six-hour workout. Wow. And then I went to be a seal, and the, my day job was being a seal, so I was just really burning the candle at both ends and came real close to dying. But it was that philosophy of giving everything until you bleed or bonk or hallucinate or spit up bile. Uh, but I don't think like that anymore. And I would never suggest to anybody to think like that because it's dangerous and it's harmful. And in the long run, I don't think you get more accomplished. Now I think you identify a line. And if you go over that line, you're giving too much. Yeah. I think now if we identify that line, come up and touch it and then back off uh -huh. and not hurt yourself. But yeah. don't let all of that go void and unfulfilled because you'll never reach that full potential. Because I really believe when I noticed this, when I got out of the SEAL teams, that in SEALs, you have these high, high goals and missions and objectives and things you have to reach. And you reach them and boom, you get a break. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Now there's something else incredibly hard you have to do and you go do it. Then you get a break. Yeah. Um, I think, and I noticed this leaving the SEAL teams when I retired, that a lot of people, I don't think the tragedy is that they set their goals too high and they don't make it because not all goals are met. I yeah. think that they set the goals too low. They meet, it, meet these goals. They go home and they're happy with themselves. Yeah. And all the rest of their potential opportunities in life just go unfulfilled. And yeah. that's what I think the real tragedy is for most people that they achieve low goals and it doesn't get them anywhere. And they're mm-hmm. just happy with themselves. And that, that didn't happen as a SEAL. But I see it a lot in civilian life. Yeah. Is there, is there a way, do you see a way where like, you, you, here's the line, right, that you're talking about. Is there a way to like push up the line so that it, you know, you continue to grow and maybe that line begins to get a little higher and higher? Well, you know, Nate, I, I do think that line's not static. That changes throughout your life. Different okay. ages, um, different things change that line where that line is. So it doesn't stay static. But yeah. for instance, if we're talking sports, the more you train and the stronger and fitter and faster you get, that line's going to go up and up and up too. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have to stay static. If you happen to have an injury and you can't train like you used to, that line's going to come down a bit. Um, so, the, so you always have to re-identify where that line is, which is it's a hard thing to do. But you get a feel for it after a while, you know? Yeah, so, and I hear you saying that, like, but most people, they just uh, – they think or they want to say they're at the line, but they're not even close, right? It's so rare I see anybody at the line. Yeah, yeah. It's really rare I see anybody at the line. I, I did a mountain bike race this weekend, and I didn't finish. My chain snapped, and it's very. It's my first race since I came back off of Everest and damaged yeah. my lungs. But um, I didn't even see anybody pushing hard there, but I looked at my Garmin watch and put in the computer afterwards just to see how hard I pushed. And for the 70 minutes I raced, my heart rate was 96% of max to 106% of max. Wow. So I felt really good that I was yeah. putting out at that level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then that was only 70 minutes. I was sick for a day and a half afterwards. I bet. Which made me happy that I put out at that level where I'd get sick again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, well, and talk, I know you were telling me before we started, but yeah, so... Um, the reason that you have some of that um, physically, you, you went to Everest and you, and you got sick up there, right? Because yeah. you're constantly pushing. Are you, do you have plans to go back to Everest to, to attempt that again? Well, no, I can't. You can't. Um, yeah. And then I didn't push myself on Everest, really. Yeah. Um, there was one guy who had a hard time with his backpack going up once we got higher. So I carried his backpack for 10 days at one point. Sherpas carried most of your weight, but I carried yeah. his smaller pack and I carried my smaller pack. So I had two packs, uh-huh. but that didn't really put me over the edge because people thought maybe I was doing too much work up there. There were a couple of times on our training days when we just go up high and come down low, go up high, come down low. I would yeah. run down instead of hike down. <laughs> they were a little concerned that it was too much, but it felt okay. I didn't feel like I was exerting myself at all. But I don't really know because with HAPE and HACE, high altitude pulmonary edema and cerebral edema, you don't know why, it, people don't know why it comes or who it's going to happen to. Uh, so for me, when I started getting up on the ice fall where the ladders are, where you climb the ladders and you cross the ladders, it's the most yeah. dangerous section on Everest. 
Um, what happened with me is I put my head down and fluid was coming out of my nose and my mouth. And I could hear my breath sounds. It was gurgling. I didn't know why. It just happened fast. Wow. And then it got really dark. I thought a storm was coming in, but I lost my color vision. Mm-hmm. And then I couldn't remember where I was. And then I passed out. That's how fast it happened. Wow. And uh, Andre Dorje Sherpa, the most famous Sherpa in the world, was with us. And he came up and he said, Don, what's the matter? I said, I, I can't breathe. And he's been with a lot of people who died up there. You know, yeah. he's the hero of Everest movie, the most recent Everest movie and the book um, Into Thin Air from John Krakow. He's a hero of that. Yeah. He saved a lot of lives. Yeah. He's been with a lot of people who died up there too. And he, he knew what I had. Yeah. So he tried to um, help me out. I got to a New Zealand guide and I was able to breathe his oxygen, but I didn't know which way to go. And I couldn't really take steps without passing out. So I put my hand on his shoulders for balance. I didn't know which way was up or down. I had his oxygen mask on, but it wasn't because I was pushing myself too hard. It was because some phenomenon happened to me and people don't know why that happens to people. And then we got to this big ice wall and, um, and the New Zealand guide, his name was Mike. He said, can you repel? I said, of course, I've repelled all my life. Of course I can repel. Yeah. And I had a nice climbing jacket on, my climbing harness, and he, he went down. And I got the rope, and I looked at my harness, and I looked at my figure eight. I was thinking, I forget how to hook this up. I couldn't remember how to do it. Yeah. And, but I saw some Sherpas wrap some lines around their arms and going down the, the cliff sides, ice, ice walls. I was thinking, I'll try that. And I took the rope and wrapped it around my arm a few times, but not really seeing right or thinking right. And I just came off the wall, letting one loop at a time come off my arm. Wow. And I made it. And then um, there was a doctor, a very, a very famous doctor. We lost our doctor due to HAPE also. I have high-altitude pulmonary edema. So they had to go find another doctor for me. And this woman came and she had a big, big scar on her leg because the year before when all the avalanches were killing all the people, we were worried about that too, because there were avalanches everywhere. And um, so this avalanche came and a big thing of ice hit her in the leg and ripped her leg open. And she sewed it up in order to save other people's lives. So she came and treated me. And she basically told me in a nice professional way, if you went up any higher, if you stayed where you were, or if you don't get off this right away, you're not going to survive. And so I, I had no intent. I, I didn't even have the ability to think about going up higher or saying anything, but yes, ma'am. You know, yeah. I didn't push myself. And I got back down to Kathmandu, and, I get, and the flight couldn't come in. There was a storm, so we had to wait an extra day. And we just went down that mountain for an hour in the helicopter and came into Kathmandu and was choking and coughing and choking and coughing. And the doctor says, you're lucky to be alive. Wow. So I'm, I'm recovering from that now. and. Um, I have no regrets. I'm so glad I did that because, Nate, to tell you the truth, I'd rather, even if I knew the outcome of that, I'd rather have experienced what I experienced than going through the whole rest of my life wishing I had tried it or hoping. Yeah. Yeah. I should have, I could have, I would have. I didn't want to be there. I'd want to yeah, be absolutely. like, hey, I gave him a shot. Yeah, well, I mean, that sounds like, I mean, that's just who you are, right? And um, yeah, so what do you, how do you, how do you take all, all of these experiences, you know, on the, on the SEAL teams? all of the like Everest, <laughs> the adventure races. I just listened to your book again a little bit before this. And you're talking about the hallucinations on one of the adventure races in, in your kayak or in your canoe. And, uh, and a beautiful woman comes out out of the water and you stop paddling. <laughs> and your Japanese is, woman. 
What's the full dress kimono? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, "What's going on?" He like. Oh, oh, <laughs> so, how do you take all of these experiences and like apply them to your life to help you to continue to move forward? Well, I'm 62 now, and um, and I don't look forward to those experiences helping me do anything else. I mean, I'm, I've got them; they're going to be with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. What I like doing now is taking those experiences and lessons I've learned and just sharing them. And I do that through writing and speaking. Yeah. And, and I enjoy the process of talking with you and yeah. talking with others. And, um, and like, for instance, now I'm working with AMI, which is um, Advanced Medical Integrated. And they're all about helping veterans get off of opioids and, and worried about the suicide rate and, um, and trying to find means like stem cell therapy or PRPs or non-medicinal therapy for veterans. And um, so they, they work with stem cells and things, and they offered me some stem cell treatment. I can't believe it. In two and a half weeks, I was pain-free. I'm lifting more weights than I've done in six years now. I'm running faster and biking faster than in six years. And so what I'm trying to do now is take this message, my message, incorporate it with what I know that could help veterans um, and try to get the word to them at different events. This yeah. past weekend, I was at the Brian Bill Foundation down in Tampa, and Brian Bill was one of the SEALs who was killed um, yeah. in uh, August uh, 6, 2011, you know, helicopter crash and all the SEALs were killed. Yeah. And it was, it was terrible. This poor family, they lost their son, and Nick Null was also in that helo. I spoke with his family a while ago. And those families, all they're trying to do is get the word out to other veterans, like, we have a foundation. We're here to raise funds to help other veteran families go through this. So, um, of course, that's not a career because you don't, I'll never think about charging it at all yeah. or anything like that. Right. But that's what I enjoy doing now, uh, helping veterans, uh, trying to get the word out for them to get treatments and um, try to get them away from the pharmaceutical type treatments that so many are addicted to opioids now. One interesting fact I heard was, we are 5% of the world's population and we use 95% of the world's opioids. Wow. And, um, and the veterans, they come home and the, the business model is, the medical model is, do a six minute visit with you and take these prescriptions. Uh -huh. We have so many veterans now just looking for help and they think the doctor's gonna help them, but it's, there's other ways and that, that's what I'm focusing on now. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good to hear you doing that because I, I, I've seen it personally, like just people I know that, are, and like you said, I mean, there's so many that are, that it's, I think, I think just about everybody's run across it in some form of their, uh, their life, whether it's them or someone close to them that, that has struggled with that. And it is, uh, it's, it's a epidemic right now. So, yeah. I grew up during the Vietnam era. I was too young to be in the military, but, um, you know, we had 10 years of Vietnam and every day I'd come home, see the news, we'd lose more and more people every day. But we lost 58,000 people in that war. Yeah. Last year, we lost 60,000 on opioids. Wow. To me, that's like, it puts it in perspective, you know? So crazy. And it gets, you know, at least this administration is doing a lot to slow that down. Yeah. But it's, um, it's we've never been in a situation like that yeah. in our country. Yeah. What's... Um you've written 20 books and, and I know you, we joked around that, uh, you know, you, you don't see yourself as much uh, or as a big author or whatever, but you have written 20 books. So, uh, you're doing something like what, uh, what, 
what's what's the vision behind you know just continuing to spread the message that you do have through through your books uh to to people well some of the books i've written are just for fun they're they're fictional but they're based on real world events that are happening. And that idea came through the movie of Forrest Gump. I was thinking Forrest okay. Gump was a fictional character who put us through 20 years of history. Yeah. Vietnam, Watergate, Nixon, Johnson, Kennedy, the ping pong championships. Yeah. I was thinking you could almost take a fictional seal and weave them into what's going on today in Syria and Iraq and, and all these places, Korea. So that, that I enjoyed. That was an eight series project and it was published and it did real well. What was the name of that? Other books, uh, Hunt the Wolf, Hunt the Scorpion, Hunt the Jack. You know, there were, there were eight different hunt series okay, books yeah. it was called. Hunt the Scorpion, Hunt the Jackal, Hunt the Wolf. And uh, um, so that was a nice project. I thought I would just do one and the publisher said, can you do one more? And that went on to eight books. The other books, you know, um, I was asked by a politician, he said, Don, you race at the highest level in adventure racing, you produce adventure races, and you produce more than anybody in the world, and you teach people to do it at your adventure racing academy. Why don't you write a book? I said, I don't want to write a book. <laughs> he said, well, why don't you just do it on tape, and I'll write it for you. So I did it on tape, and that was the first book, and then I was teaching weapons and tactics for the US government, and my boss said, Don, you got all this material, why don't you write a book? I said, Jimmy, I don't want to write another book. <laughs> Finally, I wrote another book. And then I survival. The Navy called me. They said, the Marines have a survival manual. The Army has one. But the SEALs don't. Would you write a survival manual? I said, no way. I don't want I'll have to do so much research. But I did that, too. And then the eight novels was, was a lot of fun. But to tell you the truth, my favorite project has been, you know, the talks that I like to get is called Reaching Beyond Boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that's only an hour talk. And I've been wanting to, the people who motivated me and the people I look up to so highly, I wanted to be able to talk more about those people. And in a one hour talk, it's just limited. So I wanted to write a book on where that talk came from and where that motivation came from. So I love that project, the Reaching Beyond Boundaries project. And then from that stem, three smaller books we call the trilogy. Um, they, they follow on Reaching Beyond Boundaries. So those have been my favorite. The motivational books have been, yeah. not the how-to or the numbers so much, but the motivational yeah. books. Yeah. What's, uh, what's next for you uh, physically? I know because you're always going to be pushing. You just had a race this weekend. You, you like having thing, uh, something in front of you to, to really work towards, train for. What's, what's next for you in that realm? Well, my pulmonologist said, in his words, if I were you, I want to go over 10,000 feet. So he didn't tell me not to go over 10,000 feet. He just said, if I were you, I wouldn't go over 10,000 feet. Yeah. He's John Hopkins doctor. So I have been up to 14,000 five times since Everest without a problem. Okay. And there's 54 mountains in Colorado that are over 14,000 feet. Yeah. And I've, only, I've done 20 of them. So I have 34 more to go. So okay. I want to do those. And, yeah. um, and I, like taking, I like taking veterans up there, opioid uh, problem you know, people uh -huh. with problems with opioids. I take government people up there. And, you know, if you have somebody struggling in life and you just camp out on the trailhead and you start hiking up and then you see um, the sun coming up and then you see the peaks coming through the clouds and then you summit, it makes people feel really good about themselves. So yeah. I like doing that with people who, who yeah. need that. And then I had a bicycle built. 
um, because I live here in Cape Charles, Virginia, where it's flat. Yeah. And when I couldn't go up any of the hills or anything, I thought I'd have this bicycle built with a 90-tooth chain ring, and I'm trying to hit 60 miles an hour on it. Oh, wow. And I've gone 52.3 miles an hour so far. Okay. But since I've been 61, I've ridden faster than I ever have. Yeah. I've climbed higher than I ever have. And I just came back from Canada doing a 750-mile paddle across Canada for a reality TV show, and I paddled longer than I ever have at 69. <laughs> Man, you so got the best days ahead of you yet. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And everyone says, why do you want to go 60 miles an hour? I said, well, I have a goal, 60 at 60. I yeah. said, and that's a lot smarter goal than 70 at 70. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah absolutely. Then. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, man, that's awesome. Uh, well, I really appreciate your time here today. Um, is there one or two things that you could leave with the listeners to just uh, from your experiences? And I, I mean, I wish I had more time because this is uh, it's just been a, it's been awesome to, to talk with you. Um, but yeah, one or two uh, things that, that you could leave with the listeners to help them move forward in their life. Well, if you don't mind me saying, um, doing what you do, I mean, you do it to help other people. Yeah. And um, because of what you do and because of people like you doing what you do, I think it's so important because you're really doing this for other people. You mm -hmm. mentioned that, you know, you put this, you'll put it online and things and there aren't millions of people looking at it, but the people are looking at it. Off this thing, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not making any money doing it. So yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> passion. Yeah. So I really respect that in you. And, um, and I, I think that for others, maybe if I was able to say anything, for instance, I do can say one thing. If somebody was interested in becoming a SEAL or a Marine or an Army Ranger or a police officer or a firefighter, something physical, mm -hmm. you know, all my life people have been asking me for what I thought and how to, some tips I could give them. And I have that narrowed down now that I, I'd like to share. Yeah. And that is every single day, do something to make you stronger. And that can be bench pressing. It can be going to CrossFit. It can be going to yoga. Who knows? Mm -hmm. It can be doing 100 push-ups in the backyard. It could be something. And don't expect that schedule to go on a silver platter and be handed to you. Right. That person should figure it out. Every day, do something to make you stronger. And number two, every day, do something to make you faster. That might be hitting the speed bag faster, uh, doing fart licks on the road, doing a trail run at a faster time than you did before, doing sprints on the track, uh, doing your 100 perfect push-ups quicker than you did before. But every day, do something to make you a little bit faster and somehow. And number three is whatever it is you want to do in life, if it is a SEAL or a firefighter or a police officer or something, every day, do something to be smarter. Like do the research, pay attention to the news, study the history of special operation forces, like the raid that just happened this week, that raid was impeccable. Let's study yeah. what happened there. And, 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 and every day do something to make you smarter. And then most importantly, number four, is every day do something to help somebody. Because in all of these um, career professions we just discussed, they all require you to be a good team player and a good teammate. And if you're gonna help your neighbor fix the back door, you're gonna help this little old lady take out groceries you help your brother because he's sick. But every day, do something to help people. And now they're discovering that when people help people, it lowers their stress levels. And it's good for everybody. Yeah. And uh, 
the best seals are the best team players, the teammates. Mm-hmm. And if they can help other people, no matter how strong or fit or smart they are, the best quality I think is being a good team player, teammate. Yeah. That'd be, I think, the best advice I could leave. Oh, maybe. that's beautiful. I, yeah, thank you. I, I love it. R- wrote it down myself. So. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate it. And, uh, thank you so much. What, what, what's, uh, uh, a few ways that people can follow you or find out more about you? Well, I have a website okay. and it's usfrogman.com and frogman is spelled like my last name with two N's. So it's okay. usfrogman, two N's.com. And I'm on Facebook under my name, Don Man. And um, that's how I usually get in touch with people yeah. or people get in touch with me. Yeah. Great. And um, yeah, we'll make sure that we, we get some links in the show notes too, so that they can uh, easily access that. And, and I got to get these books. I, uh, I, I normally read like the personal development stuff, the, 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 the type, like the inside uh, CLT team six, but uh, I, I enjoy fiction too. And, and uh, or nonfiction, right? Is it nonfiction? Fiction. Fiction, yeah. Non-fiction is not false. Yeah. So those are true. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, the the hunt the wolf and the scorpion and the jackal. That's what I'm trying to say. So the novel type. I want to yeah. I want to check those out. So thank you so much for taking time today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Don. It's a pleasure, Nate. It's a pleasure. Good luck with everything you're doing. Thank, thank you. Deployed to Kuwait, I used to wait every day for them to say, Nature going home. I miss my life, miss my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. But when I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't alright, I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera, I fixed the lens, and now I see in focus. Now my life's unrecognizable from my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years. And marriage has never been better than this And we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm gonna be a leader I'ma lead the way Cause I'm a firm believer We can do anything we want If I said it then I meant it I probably already did it Consider it done Consider it done If you need some inspiration You should play this Championship Leadership Podcast 